So today, we are ending our series that we have been doing, taking a look at the book of Daniel. And we have called this series, How to Stand Out When You Don't Fit In. And what we have looked at is this common theme throughout the book of Daniel that has allowed Daniel to stand out in a positive way even when he didn't fit in. That theme has been revolving around the sovereignty of God. That despite appearances, no matter what things may seem like or appear to be like, God is in control. And so today we arrive at a prayer of Daniel. And prayer is a characteristic that we've seen throughout this book. If you're new uh, to Calvary Church, you're new to this series, or, or new just to the Bible or the book of Daniel, if you read the stories that we have read throughout these past weeks, you will see Daniel oftentimes praying. Whether he's facing something that's a difficult trial in his life, whether it's just a, uh, him consistently just having this attitude of prayer, we see Daniel praying over and over and over again. And today we get to read one of those prayers. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at chapter 9. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's different ways for you to follow along. You can read the verses on the screens up front. You can take your phone app or your tablet out and uh, go to the Bible app. That's a great uh, way to read the Bible. Or if you're in one of our campuses, whether Southerton or Quakertown, you can take one of the Bibles that we have here. In Southerton, they're in the seat rack in front of you. Quakertown, they're in the back of the room. Just go and get it or just raise your hand and usher will bring it to you. And whether you're in Quakertown or in Southerton, if you don't own a Bible... Take it home. It's our gift to you. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth, and we want you to have access to it. So take it home if you don't have one. So we're going to be reading from Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem." Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. 
Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. We get this rich, beautiful, deep prayer of confession in Daniel 9. And I think in order to fully understand this prayer, in order to fully understand the depth and richness of it, we need to understand the situation that Daniel is in. We need to understand the situation that Daniel is in. This prayer of confession is a response. It is a response. Look at verse 2. Rarely do we see such an explicit reference from one book of the Bible to the other book of the Bible as Daniel does to the book of Jeremiah. Daniel has been reading God's word. He's been reading the scriptures. He's been reading the words of Jeremiah. And he responds. Let's look at some of those words. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 8. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. What Jeremiah prophesied, what we just read, came true. Nebuchadnezzar did come into the city of Jerusalem. He did conquer it. And what he used to do was he would take these nobles or, or, or the, the wealthy or, or, or the people of influence and he would take them out of the city and he would bring them back to Babylon and indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. And this is what happened to Daniel. Daniel is one of those exiles that was brought from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is his life. And what we need to understand is that in Daniel 9, Daniel is an old man. He has been in Babylon for over 60 years. And as he reads these words of Jeremiah... He recognizes that the 70 years should be nearing its end. The 70 years are almost up. But Daniel understands something about his situation that is even deeper than that. He truly understands the situation that he and the people of Israel are in. You see, the relationship that the people of Israel 
Daniel and God exist in is one that exists in the setting of a covenant. Of a covenant. Merriam-Webster defines covenant as this. A usually formal, solemn, and binding agreement. A written agreement or promise usually under seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. God made a covenant with Israel. He would be their God and they would be his people. And the tragedy of the Old Testament is, is that God consistently is the covenant keeper and repeatedly Israel is the covenant breakers. And that is the reason that Daniel and the people of Israel are in exile because he and the people have violated the covenant. Daniel understands the situation. He understands the depth of the covenant. He understands the book of Deuteronomy. He understands this this covenant that was given during the time of Moses. He understands it. He alludes to it in his prayer. And one of the things that he understands is that there is a requirement that has yet to be met. There is a requirement that has yet to be met. They are in exile because they have broke the covenant. There is a requirement of repentance and confession. There is a requirement of confession and repentance. And it has not yet been met. And this is the intention of Daniel's prayer. It is a prayer of confession. So again, Daniel reads from the book of Jeremiah and understanding the situation that he and his people are in, understanding that the situation is that God has kept the covenant and they have broken it and that the exile that they are currently experiencing is, is, a, in, is because of that broken covenant. And yet the time Seems to be ending soon, according to the words of Jeremiah. But Daniel realizes there's still one thing missing. There is still one thing missing. And yet, and this is his response to this missing component. In response to his situation, Daniel prays a prayer of confession. And there's this interesting process that is exhibited in Daniel's prayer. There's this fascinating process that Daniel exhibits in his prayer of confession. Daniel starts his prayer by focusing on God. Daniel starts his prayer of confession not by focusing on himself, but by focusing on God. He focuses on the greatness of God, the love of God, the steadfast nature of God. He does get into the sins of Israel, his sins, and he confesses those. But the foundation is, the way that it starts, is by focusing on God. I find this fascinating. One of the reasons that I find this fascinating is because of how we have defined worship at Calvary Church. We have defined worship as seeing God for who he is and responding appropriately. Seeing God for who he is and responding appropriately. Worship is not singing songs. Worship is not playing music. 
They are components of worship. They are beautiful components of worship. In fact, last weekend, I was able to have the privilege of just being able to witness Fuse, our middle school winter, uh, fall retreat. And let me tell you, it was one of the highlights of my month just to hear those middle school students singing at the top of their lungs with reckless abandon. It was beautiful. And so singing and music are a powerful, a powerful part of worship, but there are many layers to worship. There are many layers to that definition of worship. Worship is seeing God for who he is and responding appropriately. And that's exactly what Daniel does in chapter 9. That's exactly what Daniel does in chapter 9. He sees God for who he is and he responds with a prayer of confession. A true heart of worship will include confession. A true heart of worship will include confession. If confession is never a part of my life, then I am not seeing God for who he is and responding appropriately. If I am never coming to God and confessing my sins, then my worship is incomplete. And if the heart of worship, in the same line, if the heart of worship isn't the basis of my confession, then I might be looking at it the wrong way. I might have things out of focus. If I'm simply focused on myself, and my confession is not a response to God, then I run the danger of living a life filled with delusion or despair. Because I'm focused incorrectly. Confession should always begin with a focus on God. Always begin with a focus on God. So that's how Daniel starts. He starts by seeing God for who he is and responding with this prayer of confession. And then he's very specific with his confession. Look at verses 5 and 6. He lists five violations of the covenant, five ways that the people have sinned. We have done wrong. We have been wicked. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands. And we have not listened. And he continues to be specific as he goes on in later verses. But what's amazing, what is so powerful, that in this specific detailed account of his sin and the sin of the people of Israel, he never loses sight of God. He never loses focus on God. In the midst of his confession, we hear phrases like, Lord, you are righteous. Lord, our God is merciful and forgiving. The Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt, his entire prayer of confession is a response to God and God's character. So Daniel is in a situation of exile. He's in exile and in this situation because he and the people of Israel have broken a covenant. And he reads the book of Jeremiah, and it looks like the time should be nearing an end, but he realizes that there's something incomplete. What's incomplete 
The missing component is repentance and confession. And so Daniel prays a prayer of confession, and he does this by seeing God for who he is and responding appropriately. And in this prayer of confession, we are given the motivation of the confession. The motivation of the confession. So I'm going to share a story with you about one of my children. But because I don't want to get in trouble when I get home, I'm not going to tell you which child it is. I'm going to leave the name out. I am extremely nervous because I did not do this well in first service. Slip of the tongue. So I'm going to try to be better at this one. Okay. One of my children, who shall remain nameless, this child threw a huge tantrum one day. A huge tantrum. It was ridiculous. It was just screaming, stomping over the feet, saying mean things. Just, it, was, it, was, it was ridiculous. So I grounded this child. And I sent this child to their room. A couple of hours go by. Knock at the door. There's the child. The child enters the room. Daddy? Yes? Uh, Daddy, can, can I watch a movie? I really want to watch this movie. No. Why? Because you're grounded. You haven't even apologized for what you did. Daddy? Yes? I'm sorry. You're what? I'm sorry. You're sorry? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I forgive you. Child gives me a hug for a few seconds. And then there's this pause, this silence. Daddy? Yes? Can I watch a movie? <laughs> what was the motivation of that apology? Because this child wanted to watch a movie. And just so you know, the answer was no. How often do I come before God the same way? How often is my confession one that is self-focused? I come before God with a motivation that is self-focused, a motivation that is hoping to avoid maybe consequences or, or just actually just so I can feel better about myself. That is not the motivation of Daniel. That is not the motivation of Daniel in his prayer of confession in chapter 9. You see, Daniel is still an old man at this point. He's not going back to Jerusalem. That opportunity has passed. What is his motivation? His motivation is founded on his relationship with God. 
It's interesting, when we read the Bible today, we read it in English, and sometimes we miss some of the richness of it because we're reading it in a different language than what it was written in. And there's this word that was used as the name of God, one of the names of God throughout the Old Testament. It's the name Yahweh. Yahweh is the only personal name for God in the Old Testament. There are different names of God, uh, different names of God in the Old Testament, but this is the only personal name for God. Yahweh is not used in the book of Daniel at all. Yahweh is not used ever in the book of Daniel, except for this chapter, except for this prayer. Daniel uses the name Yahweh over and over again in this prayer. Nowhere else in his book does he do that. It only occurs here. It is the personal name of God, and it is the name of the God attached to the covenant. Daniel is motivated by this relationship he has with Yahweh. And again, up until this point, we know as we have gone through this series that Daniel understands that despite appearances, despite how things may appear, God is in control. He understands the sovereign nature of God and he understands the relationship that he has with God. And so he prays a prayer of confession, understanding that it is nothing that Daniel can do. It is nothing that he can do to bring about his petition. And what's fascinating about that is we never read of Daniel messing up. We never read of any sin of Daniel. And yet at the end of this prayer, if you go to the next verse, Daniel um, explains that this is not just a prayer for Israel. This is a prayer for himself individually. Daniel's nature is insufficient to satisfy his petition. It is only God's nature that can do that. And Daniel recognizes this. And he also recognizes the nature of God right at the top of the prayer. In verse 4, he calls the covenant a covenant of love. God has not stopped loving. The people of Israel have violated the covenant. They have been unfaithful. God has remained faithful and steadfast in his love. And so Daniel's petition and motivation of his confession is based on God and his relationship to his people. Look at verse 17 again. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. God's covenant is one of love, and Daniel responds with a petition of love. His motivation centers around the glory of God. His confession is not centered on himself. It centers around the glory of God. It is not for Daniel's name's sake. It is for the sake of the name of God. It is for the sake of the name of Yahweh. It is for the sake of the God of this covenant of love that Daniel makes this petition. 
And Daniel understands that there is nothing that he himself can do to bring about this petition. His righteousness is not enough. It is lacking. And the crazy thing is that God answers Daniel. If you were to read the rest of the chapter, God answers Daniel. He sends an angel, Gabriel, to answer back. And Daniel's response, the response that is given to Daniel is not what he had hoped for or what he expected. But Daniel, we know that up until this point, understands that God is in control. Despite appearances, God is in control. And he understands that the covenant is one of a loving God, a steadfast God. And let's not forget the beginning of the chapter. He has been reading the book of Jeremiah. Let me read some more words to you from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. It is only through God that the petition can be satisfied. And so God needs to make a new covenant. And the way he makes that new covenant is through Jesus. If you were here last week, whether you were in Sowerton or in Quakertown, we had a time of communion together. And during communion, you will hear echoes of words that Jesus spoke. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Jesus is speaking. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The new covenant is provided by Jesus' death on a cross. It is a new covenant, and just like the covenant that Daniel references in his prayer, it is a covenant of love. And it is a covenant that requires a response of confession. Daniel, in his prayer, stands in the gap for his people. Jesus stands in the gap for us. But when Daniel stands in the gap, he is found lacking. He is found lacking. And he is forced to look at God to satisfy the broken covenant. Daniel stands in the gap and asks God to forgive others. But the one who is praying, his righteousness is not sufficient.
Jesus also prays a prayer for the forgiveness of others. And when Jesus prays this prayer, he stretches out his arms on a cross and in complete agony and complete torment, taking on the sins of all humanity, your sins, my sins, all of humanity's sins. In this posture of sacrifice, he prays as he cries out, Father, forgive them. But this time, this time, the righteousness of the one praying is sufficient. The righteousness of the one praying is sufficient. This time, a new covenant is given. So what are we to do? What are we to do? What is our response? We are to see Jesus for who he is and respond appropriately. And confession is part of that response. Confession is part of that response. Confession is a part of worship. I confess my sins to, one, to the one who paid the incredible price of satisfying them. You see, if my heart is empty of confession, I need to shift focus and stop looking at myself and start looking at the one who died for me. What he has done and respond appropriately. Let us be a church that looks at the face of our Savior and let us respond appropriately and let our confession be an act of worship not so that we feel good about ourselves, but so that others may see who Jesus is and that his name will be glorified. Let us be that church. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are a great and mighty God. And we stand in awe at this love that we cannot fully understand. We stand in awe at this sacrifice that we cannot fully comprehend. Only you are worthy of praise. Only you are worthy of glory. And so we confess that we are not worthy of that praise. We confess that we are in need of forgiveness and we confess our sins. And I confess to you the many sins that I have, my pride, my arrogance, the people that I have hurt, the words that I have said, the filth in my heart, I confess it to you. worship you as I claim your forgiveness because of the cross. Would we confess as a church, we confess as a church the many things that we have not done correctly. And we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask you that through that forgiveness, your name would be glorified that the truth of the gospel will ring true in our hearts 
and it will be a resounding sound for those around us. Lord, we praise you. You are great. You are mighty. And we worship you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.